What's going on, guys? My name is David Gibson. I am the host and founder of this podcast, SIDcast, a podcasting resource dedicated to telling stories and sharing the experiences of the sports information and athletic communications profession. Um, we just wrapped up Thank You SID Week, so thanks to everybody. Thanks to Cosida for featuring us uh, for that specific day. I think it was Tuesday or Monday or something like that. Um, and I uh, hope that you all are uh, enjoying crossover season, taking some time to yourself uh, either the coming weeks or the past week or whatever because um, you earned it and you deserve it. We're actually um, starting our first home basketball game tonight. Uh, we've been giving Genius a shot, and we think we've got it pretty well covered. Uh, just got to know the order. Just memorize the order, and it's it's not as hard as you think it is, to be completely honest. Um, but, yeah, women's basketball against Lincoln Memorial tonight. Uh, leaving here in about 45 minutes to go do that. And then coming back home because we're going to have – it seems like uh, we're supposed to be having snow here coming, um, a lot of it. And uh, a lot of freezing rain, too. And uh, to the point where it's going to kind of worry me a little bit because um, I do, you know, have to go to work and have to go to class and everything. Uh, and just getting to class is going to be insanely difficult, I can imagine. So I'm just waiting to see what's what's going to happen with the weather. It's supposed to start while we are uh, in our game. So I'm going to kind of gauge what's going on. Um, and then go from there. So uh, thanks for all the support on episode number 100. I really do appreciate it. Uh, it it's quite the, um, the task and quite the, uh, the mountain that we've climbed. And it seems like we're on our way down for it. Um, and like I mentioned about that, uh, December, we are off. Entirety of December. Finishing up finals and then Christmas. And then that would have meant that there was only one, um, one show would be coming out in the middle of December. Which... Uh, I do not want to do specifically because you guys earned much better than the one show. Uh, you need quality and you need a quantity as well. Um, and I feel like this December break is going to help out uh, significantly for me at least. So we do have John Holtz of Slippery Rock. Uh, they We talk a little bit about being a D2 school in that area. Um, they just did some festival year stuff. The D2 festival, that is, because um, I think but Pittsburgh and Evansville here, we're, we're splitting national championships because we have the basketball national championship here coming in March. Uh, and they've got a couple, a handful over there. So he was just wrapping up some of the festival stuff in October before we were actually able to talk to him uh, a couple weeks ago, early November, late October range. So uh, we'll also talk about what he does trying to market and everything. Um Slippery Rock doesn't exactly have a nickname like the Wildcats or the Cougars or the Bears or anything like that. Uh, they're just called the Rock, which is kind of difficult. And uh, he'll talk a little bit about the nightmare that he's had uh, of trying to get people just to know the name and, and say it correctly. Uh, it, it's something that I'm sure most of you are. are um, it, it's kind of different whenever you see that on your broadcasting sheet or on your PA sheet or something like that, just called the rock. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that and, and much, much more. Uh, I'll also go through his career path as we always do. Uh, before we jump into it, I need you guys to go leave a rating review over on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you don't know where to do that, go over to our Twitter page, uh, at sports Infocast on Twitter and, um, pull up our uh, media stuff and there's a little quick video that will show you exactly where to go to get to your 
to get to your stuff. So um, as far as podcasts and everything, how to leave a rating and review. Uh, because a lot of people, uh, you don't know this, but you already have a podcast app on your phone. Uh, I think Android, I think Google was uh, developing something for Android specifically. I, I'm not up to date on that sort of thing, but I uh, heard a rumor that they were doing something like that. So um, kind of looking into that here pretty soon. But uh, yeah, before we can rate and review on that, got to rate and review and wherever you get this podcast, I really do appreciate it. I know a lot of you listen on Spotify. I know that means that's easy for you. Uh, that's easier for you than absolutely listen to us on Spotify, SIDcast. Uh, nothing fancy to it. So, I don't know. Add it to your pregame playlist. Play it over the speakers if you want. Um, but, yeah, we'll we'll leave it at that, guys. Uh, yeah, because yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting pretty tired, actually. Today was a long day. We, we actually um, took uh, graduation pictures. That was – it's it's cold out. It was 35 degrees. <laughs> And she wants me in a t-shirt. I, I was like, okay. So, But nonetheless, we do have episode number 101 of SID Council. John Holtz of the Slippery Rock, the Rock of Slippery Rock University in Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania. And he was a track guy. So we will talk about his event at the 800 meter. If it was actually, if he thinks that it was actually mid-distance or a distance event right here on SID Cast. say track just because of the uh all the extra kind of things you have to do to really be successful at it you know spend a lot more time in the weight room and uh a lot more explosive agility type things that, that went into running you know focusing more on the 800 than the, the longer distances but uh you know like we talked off air i really enjoyed the uh, you know the, the cross-country preparations in the summer too and, and logging a lot of the mileage over the summer and uh, kind of the vicious cycle of, of dropping a bunch of weight, getting real skinny in the fall for cross country and then building muscle back up for track. So I kind of enjoyed both sides of it, uh, uh, but definitely had, definitely had a lot more success at the uh, mid distance side of things. Do you ever get kind of, kind of an itch? Cause I do, we just hosted the festival year. You hosted the D2 pre Nats last weekend. So do you ever kind of get that itch? Like, Oh, I want to be back out there again. Or, or does that even happen for you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I wish the schedule would allow it, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, my body is kind of broken down over the years, too, to the point where I don't think I could handle the kind of mileage that, you know, I was running 100 miles a week back in back in college. I don't think I could handle that kind of stuff anymore. But I would like to get back into it, find, uh, you know, find find some common ground in there, you know, maybe like 5Ks, that kind of thing, just something to something that makes you feel good about getting out and getting moving again. But, uh, you know, the falls are just uh, – the falls are tough, you know. It's real mm-hmm. tough to be a runner and, and, and work this job at the D2, D3 level during the fall. So you did all this at Mansfield College. So tell us, the, the listeners, um, why you chose that in the first place and what was your very first days of sports information at Mansfield? Yeah, yeah. So uh, so I looked at a, a bunch of schools. I'm from upstate New York near the uh, Finger Lakes area, Rochester, and uh, I was looking at uh, some Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three schools up in that area. I had thought about going to the University of Buffalo. Um, didn't really get a great feel from the coaching staff, just didn't feel like home to me. And uh, the day I went on my recruiting visit to Mansfield, actually, uh, my dad passed away that day while I was at Mansfield on my recruiting visit. And uh, I don't know if it was that, that I just kind of felt like a connection to the university there because of everything else that happened that day or uh, that I got such a good feeling from the coaching staff and the, the guys that would eventually become my teammates. But uh, I really just felt felt like I had to go to Mansfield after that day. So, so Mansfield University was the 
the right choice for me, and uh, I went to Mansfield as a, as a math education major and got to differential equations and figured out that math is not fun at all no. <laughs> to get past uh, calculus and that sort of thing. So I switched to English and uh, with no idea what I was going to do with an English degree um, and then kind of fell into sports information. I was, uh, I was at track practice one day, and the sports information director at Mansfield, Steve McCluskey, who's a Cosada Hall of Famer, he uh, came down to track practice one day and asked my coach if there was anybody on the team that could write. And uh, my coach said, well, John's an English major. So uh, Steve offered me a job that day on the spot. And, uh, and I was like, no, absolutely not. I, I turned him down. I was uh, I was taking a bunch of credits. I was planning to graduate and, uh, and get out of there. And uh, this was my junior year. And then Two weeks later, uh, I tore a ligament in my ankle with a, mm. like a freak accident during an 800 race at Bucknell University, and uh, I wasn't going to be able to run for, for the rest of that season, so I ended up taking a red shirt and deciding to, to spend in a, a little bit of extra time at Mansfield, so I went back to Steve and said, hey, is that job still available? And mm. uh, the rest was kind of history, so yeah, started there my junior year, and uh, unfortunately for Mansfield, but kind of fortunately for me, uh, Mansfield dropped its football team in 2006, which was my senior year. And the, uh, the fallout from that really just took Steve away from being able to do the daily responsibilities of the office. Cause he was doing a lot of PR and a lot of managing the uh-huh. response to, to dropping a hundred year old program. Uh, so I took on a lot of responsibility with the, with the team that year and, and with, uh, with all the teams at Mansfield that year. And, uh, really launched my career, so uh, I have to have to thank Steve for for everything, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been there too. Uh, that's how I fell into sports information. If you weren't aware, I also got injured. I had stress fractures up and down both my legs, turned into breaks. Uh, needed something to do, you know, and um, got into it. So, what was it like for you personally to kind of? I I know that answer for me, but I'm asking for you. Something that you love, something that you have a passion for, competing physically, um, something that makes you basically feel good, and then all of a sudden that's taken away. What was that like for you? You know, I think the uh, I think the hard part for me, the hardest part for me was the, uh, you know, the realization that I that was the best shape I was ever in in my life. At that point in time, mm-hmm. I had worked incredibly hard over the summer, all through the fall, and then had a great winter. So. I was really looking forward to a, having a strong outdoor season, and uh, and it kind of got taken away the first big race of the season. So uh, that was the hard part for me was the you know just kind of mentally trying to stay focused through that when I couldn't run for those you know it was probably it was it was probably six weeks that I couldn't really run. So um, so that part was the, the the tough part, but I really found that uh, you know I, I quickly found a passion in in sports information and quickly really developed that uh, that passion there and. Uh, it turned into something that I found that I, I loved as, as much, if not, you know, more than, than what I was doing on the running side of things. So, you know, I, I quickly filled the void, I guess, with, mm-hmm. uh, with, with something else. Yeah. Yeah. Same for me as well. Um, so what was it like switching from math education, which sounds absolutely horrible, by the way, I hate math. Um, God knew I'd be too powerful if I could do math, by the way. Uh, that, that's my excuse about that. So what was it like, uh, <laughs> switching over to English and then what was your writing like before you even took that job in the sports information office? Yeah, so uh, so the, the whole reason I switched from math to English was uh, my freshman year, I went in and met with my advisor, and we needed one more uh, one more gen ed, one, just one, one more general uh, ed elective. And 
we were looking through and all like the English 101 classes were taken. I transferred in some, some college credits that I took when I was a high school senior. Uh, so they wouldn't let me take any of like the 101 gen ed Englishes. So, uh, I kind of enjoyed Shakespeare a little bit when I was in high school. So, uh, there was a Shakespeare class that was offered at the 400 level that was offered for, uh, for majors only essentially. And, uh, I asked if I could get into that class and they reluctantly let me in. So, I think there were 12 people in the class and all of the rest of the people in the class were either junior or senior majors, English majors. And, uh, I had an incredible professor, Dr. Washington, remember him to this day. Um, you know, he, he made it fun and exciting. He made, he made me want to go to class every day and, and just that class and, and being around those people, uh, that class my freshman year was really enough to, to convince me to want to switch to English, which was, um, kind of surprising you know not, not a lot of people take a Shakespeare class and, <laughs> and then switch a major but uh, that's what it was for me so it wasn't so much the writing side of things that that made me switch as it was the um, the the lit theory and the being able to to analyze and break down literature and things like that that really first drew me to English and then uh, I developed a, a really strong passion for writing I ended up getting a creative writing minor um, everything but poetry, pretty much. I'm not a poetry guy. Didn't, didn't write a lot of poetry. Yeah. Don't read a lot of poetry. So uh, the, the poetry classes were the the only real classes I didn't uh, didn't enjoy on the English side of things. Yeah, absolutely. I don't. I meet few and far between people that actually did enjoy poetry. You know, I, I'm not one of those people as well. But um, what was some of your first ever tasks that you had when you got into the sports information office when you finally did? Uh, were there any things that maybe you weren't expecting, maybe some things that you had to adapt to as the year went on? Well, first and foremost, I think even as a student athlete, the, the one thing that, that I was baffled by when I first started in Sports Info was that for some reason, I think my first, like my freshman and sophomore years, I thought like it was just like my coach that was, he'd get back to campus at the end of the day and he would write like the story that showed up on the website. Yeah. I had no idea that the sports information director even existed. Uh, probably through my whole sophomore year, I, you know, I didn't ask any questions. I didn't, didn't even think about it. Um, so I think first and foremost, the, the eye-opening part for me was just seeing how many different responsibilities the office has at the, you know, at the smaller level. Mansfield is a Division II school, so um, just seeing all the different things that Steve was in charge of, and uh, and he was a one-man shop. Didn't have an assistant, didn't have any grad assistants, didn't have any interns. So uh, he really leaned on the five or six of us student workers that uh, that worked in the office a lot. Um, so right out of the gate, I mean, I was kind of heavily involved with a lot of things. I, I jumped right into stat crews, so uh, I was statting football and basketball games, that kind of thing, uh, and then obviously baseball, softball, all the other sports Mansfield has. But um, I also did a lot with the web, did a lot of web design at the time. We were still an in-house website because that was back in the, the early 2000s before the kind of the boom uh, when everybody went to, you know, to the, the sidearms of the world and the Prestos and CBS and things like that. So uh, I did a lot with the web and then I did a lot, uh, did a lot with graphic design, taught myself a lot in Photoshop and InDesign. And, uh, back then I think it was PageMaker that we were, uh, that we were using maybe. So I did a lot with, um, developing the, the game programs that Mansfield had and, and kind of bringing that along to a, to a more modern time back then. Yeah, so when it came time to graduate, when it came time to move on, were you looking for sports information jobs or were you just kind of looking around a little bit of everything? Yeah, so I got really lucky. My uh, So the end of my senior year uh, in 2006, 
Steve took me to the uh, ECAC SADA workshop that that year was in Oneonta, New York, and um, ended up being just a, a game changer for me. I met a ton of incredible professionals that year from from all over the the East Coast, really. Uh, but one relationship there uh, stood out to me. I met Bob Beretta from the U.S. Military Academy, who. Um, isn't really doing so much anymore on the sports information side of things. He's moved up way up in the AD ladder at, uh, at army now, but, uh, at the time was, was, uh, in charge of the, the entire SID operation at army. Uh, and I had some fantastic conversations with him and, uh, I left that workshop essentially with a, a job offer in hand, uh, before I had even really gone into my, my senior year, cause I was going to go spend my super senior year at Mansfield. So, um, so yeah, after that workshop, uh, you know, he said he wanted me to come up and, and take position at Army, and you know, I kind of didn't think about it really a lot during the year, and then uh-huh. uh, he called me in maybe January or February of, uh, of that year, 0708, uh, no, 0607, sorry, and uh, 0607, he called me, called me maybe January in there, and asked me to come up to West Point and take a look. So uh, I went up, met with him, met with a few folks, and. and uh, agreed to take a job that day so I, I had accepted a job probably in January or February uh, before graduating in May that year and then moved to uh, West Point and started in August. We're going to eventually have somebody from West Point on hopefully if I'm ever able to get a response out of anybody but what's that kind of culture like being because that's unique not every place is is basically Army West Point so what was the campus like what was the culture like uh what were the athletics like at army yeah so uh, i i like telling this story actually because uh i only spent one year at army but the year that i spent at army was was one of my favorite in the profession because uh of how different west point is so uh, i say that for a couple of reasons first of all the the student athletes at west point which are cadet athletes at west point uh, are among the, the most humble and, and wonderful students that I've ever worked with in my career. And, and I've been doing this full-time now for, for more than a decade, and I've just never been around students that are uh, that appreciative of everything that you do. You know, they said thank you for things. They, you know, they invited you to be part of their teams and their programs. Uh, I still have, you know, I still have things hanging in the office here that are signed by the teams that I worked with there. Uh, I'm still in contact with a lot of the guys that ran on the track and cross country teams there. Um, just a different kind of student athlete, first and foremost. Uh, and then the heart of the, the challenge at, uh, at Army was that they don't have student workers. So the, the cadets are all obviously extremely busy with their military and athletic schedules. So, uh, so they don't really do student worker jobs at Army. So the you know, the six or seven full-timers in the office are responsible for all of the tasks. So, you know, you may have the sports that you're the primary contact for, but uh, you also may end up being the inputter for basketball and the caller for hockey and the shot chart guy. And uh, so you kind of move all around. So so I was, you know, intricately involved with a lot of the different programs at Army. So um, that was kind of cool to see because there's not a lot of Division One schools where uh, where it works like that, where the, where the full-time people are really so involved in a lot of the different sports, but that um, was really cool to see. And we had a great staff the year that I was there, the year the, the year when I worked at Army. Uh, Ryan Yanishak, who has uh, since passed away, passed away from cancer a couple of years ago, um, was uh, was a fantastic mentor to me. Um, I lived with uh, uh, 
Tracy Volkman now, who who ended up marrying Tim Volkman, who who also worked on the staff there as well. Uh, and we just had a great working relationship and, and uh, really enjoyed each other's company. And uh, I don't regret it at all. I, I would certainly say that any any young folks that are uh, that are listening that have an opportunity to do an internship or an assistantship, uh, if one one pops open at West Point, take it because it's uh, it's an opportunity you won't forget. When it came time to leave West Point, like you said, you were there for a year. You decided to take a job. Uh, is it live coming? Am I saying yeah, that like right? Yeah, yep. Yeah, so you went from being an intern, um, working with a couple sports, um, then all of a sudden you have um, a, a lot of sports, like 17, I believe, is that what it is? Yep, yeah, 17, 17 sports. Okay, before before you answer that, let me ask you this. What is sprint football? <laughs> so sprint football is uh, the, the same as heavyweight football, the same as regular football. We play with the same... Uh, all the same rules as the NCAA. It's just that there's a weight limit. So uh, the weight limit has risen over the years. It started. They used to call it like the 150s because the weight limit used to be like 150 pounds way back in the you know 50s and 60s. Uh, it's up to 178 pounds now. So so all the players on the teams have to weigh 178 or less pounds. But okay. uh, other than that, the rules are the same. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I was just clear. I I never heard that before. I knew it had to be something with. I thought it might have been like flag football or something like that. I, I wasn't quite <laughs> sure, you know. You never know. But um, anyway, back to light coming. Uh, what was it like going from being an intern to all of a sudden being part of a department that has a, a lot more sports than you're, you're used to? Well, the hardest part for me was that I was I was way too young and too eager to dive into a, a head SID role the way that I did that year. Um, I was 23 years old. Uh, I think I was the youngest head SID in the country uh, when I took that job. And, um, you know, I don't regret it, but it, in hindsight, you know, some of the, my mentors at Army told me to, to wait for another opportunity to come along. Um, but I don't regret taking the job. I learned a lot. And I was only there for 10 months before Slippery Rock actually called me and offered me a position. But, um, but uh, I learned a lot in those 10 months. And the, the biggest thing that I learned was that uh, you, you can't fix – uh, you can't fix all the world's problems in a, in a short amount of time. I I tried to, to, to change a lot of things too quick and tried to fix a lot of things that were broken for a long time before I got there. And, um, you know, we had a lot of success at, at fixing a lot of those things and turning the turning the office around. But um, but I I bent over backwards to do it. You know, I mean, I remember one morning the uh, the cleaning lady came into my office at like 6.30 in the morning to get my trash can, and I had no idea that it was 6.30 in the morning. I, I had stayed in the office overnight, and I had no idea it was 6.30 in the morning. Uh, she came in to get my trash can. She just looked at me like, like I was a ghost. And uh, like at that point in time, I, I picked my stuff up. I went, I left the office, and I went home and took a nap for a couple hours. But um, that, was, that was the biggest challenge for me was just uh, – uh, I bit off more than I could chew, um, and more than I than I wanted to realize that I that I could chew. Um, I won't say that I was I was unprepared for the job. Uh, I certainly think that I, I I could do the job, but I think I overextended myself trying to uh, to meet my own requirements more than the requirements I was being asked to meet. So uh, I think that was the the biggest challenge I had when uh, when I took that job at Lycoming. So then again, like you said, 10 months, Slippery Rock called you. Is that, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So Slippery Rock had created, had never had a full-time assistant position before, uh, and had created the job, got it approved. Uh, and in searching, talking to the other folks in the conference, uh, which is the same conference as Mansfield is in, um, 
somehow in conversation there, my name came up as somebody that might be interested in the position. So uh, they called me, told me about the job, asked if I would uh, be interested in applying, and uh, I put my name in the hat. And uh, a few months later, I think it was uh, the end of January in 2009, uh, I took the position, came out to Slippery Rock, and uh, I've been here ever since. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, coming up on uh, coming up on a decade in Western PA now. Wow, that's quite quite the accomplishment for you. But in all the time that you've been there, and and you even talked about this back when you were an undergrad at Mansfield, and then once you got to Army, um, student workers having the efficiency of the office. Uh, what's it been like? for you evolving over the years with, with the number of student workers you've had, maybe assigning responsibilities and how they've gone after college? Yeah. So the, the nicest thing about the, about the setup here when I first got here was that, um, I kind of took over the, the guidance of the, of the undergrad student worker operation here. So at the time we probably had eight or nine undergrad student workers here, but, uh, but we also weren't doing any video. We weren't doing any social media. We weren't doing any of that stuff yet at the time. So, um, so looking back now to see kind of where we've come over the last 10 years. And, uh, I think this year we have 18 undergrad student workers. Uh, we have a student intern, we have grad assistants. So, um, to see the development of the student office is, is really wonderful, both uh, for me because obviously we need the help, but also to realize that I'm in a place that, that understands the position and really understands the support that's required to, to get the job done. So um, so they support the office with a, a fantastic student worker budget that allows us to do the things we're doing. So that's, that's kind of first and foremost um, is just being appreciative of, of where I'm at in that regard. But um, – but I think those younger years have really kind of taken over the students when I was not too much older than they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they were able to kind of connect and relate to me a little bit more, um, probably than than my current students do now. You know, <laughs> now now kind of uh, now now I think that I'm they look at me like the boss now, when back then they kind of looked at me like uh, a peer that gave them instructions from time to time. So. Um, but it's good. It's good. We've we've done a, a great job here over the years. We've we've had a fantastic student staff that has gone on to do some really really good things. Um, we did a feature story last year in a, a five year stretch. Every senior that we had that graduated that wanted to go get a job in sports got a job in sports. So um, that's a tremendous feeling of pride for me. A tremendous uh, accomplishment for us. And you know when people ask me all the time what the favorite you know, what my favorite part of the job is. It's, it's not so much working with uh, the student athletes or working the games and events and that kind of thing. It's having the opportunity to, to help grow and develop these, the students that work for us in the office and, and help give them a chance at uh, being successful when they get out of here. I think that's my, you know, that's my favorite part of what we do. Speaking of being successful, there's only, there's like what, two full-timers at Slippery Rock? Yeah, yeah, we have, uh, have a full-time assistant, and then we've got a grad assistant, um, an undergrad student intern that we okay. give some extra responsibility to, and then and then about 18 students. And you also guys have generated a lot of um, recognitions from, from multiple organizations all across wherever you can think of. So what's that like been for you? Um, are these things that you guys are going for, maybe goals that you have set for yourselves? Can you spare no detail with that? Yeah, yeah. I don't know that it, I don't know that I'll say that it's a goal, but um, you know, we hold ourselves to a high standard. You know, we talk internally that um, we want to be 
uh, one of the best SID offices in the country um, at our level. You know, we know that we can't compete with the the D ones, with the twenty people staffs and the uh, full video departments and things like that. But we want to be the best at what we do for people that are our size, and uh, and I think that we've been able to to do that over the years. And that's not to take away from any other offices in the country at this level. But you know, specifically, I I could name you five or six off the top of my head that I that I know do fantastic work. You know. Um, but the, uh, the biggest thing for us really is just making sure that we keep holding ourselves to a high standard, you know, the awards and the accomplishments that we've been able to, to win over the year. And, uh, I mean, I think we're over like 60 awards over the last three or four years, which wow. is, it's, it's just really incredible to, to see, you know, and so much of that is, you know, not just the, the work that I put in, but, you know, really the work of Tyler McIntosh, my assistant and, and all of our students and grad assistants that we've had. So, um, you know, I won't say that we that we go into the year saying, okay, we have to win this many awards or we have to do this or this or this, but um, it's a it's a nice reward for the uh, for the effort that that we do put in. Let's talk a little bit about involvement here. You are the uh, president of ECAC SIDA and on the D two uh, SIDA board. So, why did you decide to get involved? Um, what are your responsibilities with each of those positions? Can you explain for those who don't know? Yeah, yeah. So. Um, so ECAC SIDA is uh, uh, a sports information organization that you know, really runs from about Maine down to North Carolina in terms of covers kind of the East Coast, um, loosely affiliated with the ECAC conference. Uh, the partnership there has, goes back a number of years um, to when the ECAC was really a, a much larger conference and, and had a lot, of, a lot of schools in it. But um, you know, we, we focus kind of more on the small school. It's not to say that we don't have Division One members and Division One attendees at our workshop. We do a, a week-long workshop every year that kind of moves around the, uh, uh, the Northeast. Um, but, you know, we, we've really kind of settled on a niche of Division Two and Division Three schools uh, in terms of our membership. And, uh, you know, we provide a, a service that's a little different than COSIDA and that our workshop is, is much cheaper to attend typically. Uh, we include all the meals with our workshop price. Um, you know, so, th so that has worked out really, really well, and, and I'm passionate about ECAC SIDA because, like I mentioned, uh, my first trip to ECAC SIDA when I was a senior in, in college really – uh, set up my career for me. I, I credit uh, my career to the relationships I made uh, at that workshop as a, as a you know senior in 2006, and I haven't missed one since. So, uh, so I've been to every ECAC side of workshops since 2006, and when the opportunity came up a few years ago to join the presidential rotation, uh, I felt it was a tremendous honor to to have a chance to lead the organization and and be involved for a, for a four year period in terms of. Uh, kind of helping to to set the goals of the organization and and, and where we're going to go. So, um, so I, I'm very fortunate, uh, very very humbled, and, and very excited to be leading that organization this year. Um, our uh, our workshop is coming up in 2019. It's going to be in Framingham, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. Uh, it's the week before COSIDA. Um, we usually have about 125 to 150 attendees at our workshop, so it's a lot smaller than COSIDA, a lot more, uh, uh -huh. you know, a, a little family environment, you know, a lot, a lot more close knit than COSIDA. But, um, but I'm really excited about that and the work that our executive board is doing. And, and we've got board members from 
uh, all three divisions. You know, we've got very small school D3 guys on the on the board. We've got some some ladies that are from uh, schools with 1,500 students at it, and then we've got you know we've got a, a chair for our marketing side of things that works at Michigan State. So um, so we're all over the place. It's a it's a it's a great board of people, and and I really enjoy working with uh, ECAC side of. Uh, the co-side involvement and the, and the D2 side of things, um, that's probably been four or five years now uh, that uh, uh, D2 side was looking for a, an Atlantic regional representative, and uh, I was happy to throw my name in the hat there and, and take on a little bit of a larger leadership role within D2 side of it and, and helping, uh, helping to grow our connection to COSIDA. And that's been really big over the last couple of years, especially with the creation of the divisional days at COSIDA uh, at the workshops and uh, John Kane did a great job over the last few years as our president, and, and Josh Mank down at uh, A&M Commerce is our uh, D2 side of president now. So uh, we've got great leadership there and great representation uh, on the D2 side of things in terms of uh, our partnership with COSIDA, and, and I'm excited to be involved with that. What about some of the things with the Continuing Education Committee? I mean, where do you guys hope to take that? Um, some new things you guys might be coming up with in the future? Yeah, so that's a new thing for me this year. Um, that's a, that's a new role that uh, came about uh, for me based on my relationship with uh, with Megan O'Brien, who who was at the ECAC last year and um, who I've done a lot with over the last couple of years in terms of uh, we've done a lot of things. Uh, on mentorship and training student workers and things like that. So uh, she asked me to come be a part of that this year, and and, uh, that was a no-brainer for me because one of the things I'm really passionate about is uh, helping the younger folks in our profession uh, to learn some new skills and uh, and even some of the older folks in our profession. If if there's things that I can bring to the table that can uh, can help people, then uh, I'm certainly happy to do that. So uh, I think the uh, the webinar series that the Continuing Ed Committee has put together throughout the year is is fantastic. So if you haven't jumped onto any of those yet, uh, be sure to check those out through the COSADA website because there is some really good stuff and some really good presenters on there. So um, so that's exciting. Yeah, a lot, a lot going on. You know, when you <laughs> when you sit back and look at all the uh, all the other responsibilities on top of the uh, the SID duties, it's uh, they add up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, something that. I think it's funny, and it might not be funny to you because it sounds like an absolute nightmare, but um, for Slippery Rock, your mascot is a little bit different than uh, what <laughs> from what most people know, you know? Um, it, it's not like we're the Screaming Eagles. You guys, you're just the rock. I mean, what's oh, yeah. it like trying to market to the area? And you just expressed to me off air a little bit about some uh, frustrations that you have about all that. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. The... Um... You know, we joke around here that uh, it's like the single biggest frustration we have is not is people not being able to figure out what we are, who we are. We'll, <laughs> we'll go on the road and, and people will call us like, uh, man, we hear the lions, we hear the pride, we hear a lot of things like that because we have a secondary logo that uh, that has a lion on it. Um, we uh, we still get from some of the old timers, we still get rockets. Uh, we were the Rockets until you know somewhere in the late '70s. So, uh, but we've been the Rock ever since. We're just the Rock. Uh, so, uh, it's funny. Like PA PA announcers always butcher it because they're trying to. They're, they're they're typically used to saying the school name followed by the mascot. So, we'll get people going in the Slippery Rock, uh, the the Rock. So, <laughs> uh, um, it's kind of it's kind of fun for us. You know, it's become like a, kind of a running joke in the office. But uh, yeah, we're just the Rock. So uh, so if we ever play at your place, uh, just the rock. Yep. Yeah, awesome. So um, what's it like 
marketing and trying to get people's attention in, in a large media market like Pittsburgh with a place that's got um, a lot of professional sports and, and then even Pitt in the area, and I would venture to say Penn State has a large following in there. So what's it like for a small D2 office like that to try and get some media recognition for The Rock? Yeah, we're, we've been very fortunate over the years in that we have a very successful football program, and um, much like it is in a lot of places in the country, football is king in western Pennsylvania, so um, the success of our football program has kind of opened doors to the to the Pittsburgh media market for us. Uh, uh, both of the primary papers in Pittsburgh, the Post-Gazette and the, Trib- uh, the Tribune Review, uh, they both do a good job of covering us. Uh, they provide us with weekly coverage. And, you know, it's not even though if it's if it's not a game recap, uh, they're at least uh, including us in like the college roundup, that kind of thing. They're featuring our our key players and, and high profile folks. And uh, that relationship that we've been able to build through football has opened the door for some of the other Olympic sports and things like that. So. Um, so we're fortunate in that uh, having a successful football program has really kind of driven our our media partnership with the the folks in Pittsburgh. Um, but that's uh, you know that's that's kind of primarily where we where we find most of our success in terms of of getting the Pittsburgh media market involved because we're we're uh, we're about 50 miles north of the city so. Um, so we don't get the, the daily coverage from the folks out in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. but, uh, but they do do a nice job covering our major events or football games. And, uh, we have some great local media. There's a, uh, there's a uh, newspaper in Butler County called the Butler Eagle and, and they provide daily beat reports for our football team and for our basketball teams. So, um, so we're fortunate in that, uh, you know, there's a lot of places out there that don't that don't have a beat writer anymore and don't don't get the kind of daily coverage that we get so we're uh, we're fortunate that we that we still have some of that you guys are also i would say on the cutting edge of something that a lot of places have a problem with and that is streaming kind of getting your content out there and what you guys have done over at slippery rock from from my understanding is you guys have some applications for your digital network that you guys completely produce in-house so, yeah. so what what was the con- conception of that idea, and what's been the implementation, and how has it gone in the past couple of years? Yeah, so that's probably the one thing I'm the most proud of over the last few years is uh, is that we've kind of looked at the you know maybe four years ago we kind of looked at the market looked at the areas that we were not involved in you know what was our office not doing that we could be doing um and we weren't doing really any live video at the time so so we jumped into live video kind of. Uh, kind of blindly, not really with with knowing a lot about what we're doing. We don't. I'm not a video professional. My assistant's not a video professional. So um, we really had to learn a lot those first couple of years. Um, and primarily, uh, what we did the first couple of years was just web streaming. So we were streaming through the web through Sidearm, which is uh, you know we're a Sidearm partner. So um, and then after about two years of that, we we looked at the situation and said, okay where's the future of video going? The future of video is, uh, you know, at the time anyway, the, the big push was on the over the top applications, you know, the Apple TVs and the Roku's and the Amazon fire TVs and, and things like that. So, um, so we reached out to a couple of folks and we said, Hey, is it crazy for a division two school to, to have its own apps? Would it, would it be a crazy idea for a division two school to have its own athletic related apps for these for these platforms and and uh what we had got from from chatting with some of our folks on campus and some of our fans and um kind of polling some people in that area 
was that they would love it. They would they would love the opportunity to instead of having to watch on their computer and plug their computer in or watch on their phone and cast it to the TV or whatever, they'd love to just be able to watch it through through those devices. So. Uh, so we partnered with Blueframe um, two years ago, and uh, they created uh, a set of apps for us that, um, you know, I did the, the graphic design for our, our platform, really, the stuff that you see if you go and download our app and that kind of thing. But uh, they built the, the back end of the apps for us, and, and, and they allow us to, to stream to them and then still feed our web providers as well. So, uh, so yeah, so we were the, the first Division II school in the country to, to launch our own fully exclusive apps. Uh, for a digital network, so we call it the uh, the Rock Athletics Digital Network, and uh, we're very excited about it. You know, it's uh, we're excited about it because a lot of schools at this level that produce the kind of content that we do get help from TV stations on campus, that kind of thing. But everything that we do is in house, so everything that we do is. Uh, is put together by our staff and and operated by our student workers. So, um, you know, probably the most proud that we've been since we since we launched it was uh, last year. We had a, an incredible string of success last year for our office, and we got on Sports Center nine weeks in the football season. Uh, out of our eleven week season, we we were on Sports Center nine different weeks. So, um, I mean, that's just unheard of for a Division two yeah. school. And um, the, the payoff for that, though, wasn't so much success for me or for Tyler, uh, but it was our students being able to, to get up on Saturday or Sunday morning and watch SportsCenter and see their camera work and see their graphic works and their replay and stuff like that. The work that they were putting in, I think that was kind of validation for them being like, oh, man, you know what? Being behind a camera is not all that much fun for three hours at a football game. But then when you realize how important the camera person role is, uh, I think that was validation for our kids and they really bought in a little bit more in terms of realizing how important all those little roles are. So, um, yeah, the, the digital network is uh, it's something that consumes a bunch of our time now. Um, it's, you know, almost kind of become like a second full-time job for us, but uh, it's something that we're, that we're very proud of. Awesome. Well, it sounds really cool, John. So well, I'd like to treasure this part of the interview where I like to ask some uh, fun questions. First one I have for you is favorite memory in your professional tenure. Oh man, I have uh, I have a bunch probably, but um, you know my my favorite memories probably would have to to be catered around relationships and people. And um, for me, one that really stands out is uh, a couple of years ago at Cosida down in Dallas. I had the opportunity to be at the Cosida Hall of Fame luncheon uh, with Steve McCluskey, my mentor, who uh, who was enshrined in the Hall of Fame, the Cosida Hall of Fame that day. Uh, and his family were there with him. His wife and his two kids are incredible, and they became like a second family to me uh, when I was in college. So uh, I think having being able to share that moment with him um, was something very, very special to me. And and uh, he retired the year after that, and uh, so that was kind of my last professional memory with Steve. And uh, he was just in my wedding this summer for me. So uh, so I, I would say that's probably the one that sticks out the most to me. What about on the other side of the coin? What's your biggest horror story? Oh man, I've, the, the horror stories are probably the same as everybody else has. You know, just days when uh, everything seems to be breaking, so things aren't seem to be working. But um, for me lately, the uh, the biggest horror story we have is we put a video board in uh, a few years ago at the stadium, and um, it's just a giant headache. You know, a, a lot of the tech that goes into it. 
uh, seems like it could be put together better. Seems like it, it malfunctions, and when other tech doesn't malfunction, and uh, it's just become a headache. It's you know, it, it adds a lot of hours trying to make sure that it's up and running all the time, and uh, trying to produce content for it, that kind of thing. So, you know, the the biggest the biggest headache in my job, biggest horror story of the last couple of years for me, has certainly been just dealing with dealing with the video board. Awesome. Well, um, yeah, I, I know that. Uh... We all have those headaches here, definitely. Also, times when a sound system goes out, not fun. And then, the, well, unfortunately, though, we are um, we have a, an, an official who also does kind of an acapella group. Oh wow! So yeah, so he kind of he kind of takes charge of that. But um, let's start giving back to some of uh some from your mentor mentee days. So, uh, what's one piece of advice you give to a student going into this profession? Uh, have realistic expectations is the one thing that I always tell to, uh, to undergrad students when they come in, whether they're sport management majors and they're here to like interview me, uh, cause that happens a lot for classes or, or their kids that are working on our staff. Uh, the, the, the one thing that I really say is to have realistic expectations. So, and, and first and foremost, I think the one thing, um, you know, the one thing I tell people is that. Uh, it's all about experience. You know, if you, if you skate through your undergrad career and you don't work in the office at all, or you don't take an internship or you're not doing volunteer hours or things like that, the chances of you getting a job when you graduate are, are pretty slim. So it seems that I've found that a lot of these undergrad kids these days seem to think that they can just get a good GPA and graduate and they'll get a full-time job. And, uh, as you know, that's just not how it works mm-hmm. in the, in the sports field, you know, in, in the sports field, you've got to have experience and you've got to get involved and, um, so the two things I really tell people are to, to have realistic expectations and, and to, uh, and to get involved. And, um, you know, I think, I think realizing that, uh, you know, you're probably not going to graduate at 22 and walk into a $50,000 a year job in the sports world. Um, I think having that real realization, uh, up front is, uh, is opening for some of these students. It's something they need to hear though. I think, I think there's not enough people telling them, to, to have realistic expectations and, and letting them know really kind of what it takes to get your foot in the door in, in the sports world. When your mind, what makes a good SID? Maybe some characteristics or things that they do. Yeah, I, I think all the best SIDs that I work with are people that are uh, that are great communicators first and foremost. You know, I don't necessarily think uh, that being a great graphic designer or being great with video or great with stack crew makes you a great SID. Um, those are all things that we try to pride ourselves on being good at. And, and I certainly things that they make you a, a more well-rounded SID, but I think the best SIDs I've ever worked with are the guys that communicate the, the best, um, you know, in terms of whether that's pregame communication, postgame communication, particularly being able to communicate when things don't go right. You know, if, if you're going to be late with things or there's a problem with game files, things like that, um, just things like that, and and, uh, and I still appreciate people that will that will write a letter, or pick up a pick up a phone rather than, than send a text message. I don't I don't do it enough. Uh, you know, I'm guilty of not being one of those guys a lot of the time, but um, but I still think that those uh, those folks that are great communicators are the are the best SIDs in the field. What's one thing you're interested in to learn more about in this profession? 
Uh, you know, I, I really am intrigued by the, the, the digital movement over the last, you know, five to 10 years and where we're going to go from here now that, um, you know, we've got to the point where I can pull up my phone and, and hit a button and record live video on my phone and post it to Twitter in 30 seconds, you know, um, that's just crazy. I mean, that would that would have been mind blowing to me if you told me five years ago we were going to be here in five years. So, um, so I'm excited to see what comes next. But you know, I'm I'm also you know I'm cautiously optimistic about it because I know that as more technology and more things come come up, that's uh, that's more things that we tend to put on our own plates, and and then all of a sudden we're doing more things and not taking less things off the plate. So, um, I'm excited to see where where the uh, the next innovations in video come from, and uh, hopefully excited to see some things that can streamline some of our processes and uh, and uh, make things a little more efficient for what we do. Let's see here. Work-life balance. What do you do to have fun? Oh, man, I golf. Um, so golf is my, my number one stress reliever, so I try to play as many rounds of golf as I possibly can from uh, April until about October out here. You know, that's kind of when the weather ah. gets real real bad up here in western PA. Um, I joined a golf league probably three or four years ago just to make myself get out and play at least once a week. So uh, so I play every Wednesday from, from April until October, and then I try to play at least one other day a week. So I golf at least two days a week um, for, for half of the year. And uh, that's been my number one stress reliever for sure. Um, I have a nice road bike, uh, that I like to get out and ride. Uh, and then, um, you know, I like to get into a little bit more hiking, things like that, things that I can, I can share with my wife and, uh, things that we can do together to kind of de-stress and unwind and, um, not just kind of just be me escaping the stress. So yeah, yeah it can't all just be, can't all just be you all the time. Can it? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, Next time someone's in the Slippery Rock area, what's your restaurant or bar recommendation? Oh yeah, North Country Brewery. It's not even close. We uh, we got a great uh, little local brewery right on Main Street that uh, uh, they brew their own beers. They serve uh, Pennsylvania liquor in there now, and uh, they do everything like farm to fork. So uh, all the meat, all the vegetables, all the grains, everything's just kind of kind of recycled through this local loop. Um, it's fantastic. Food's really good. Beer's really good, and the uh, the atmosphere is very cool. So yeah, if you're if you're in Slippery Rock, uh, check out uh, North Country Brewery if if you need a beer, and if you just need a sandwich, Bob's up. 